0: Another great episode of Red Sea Roundup is coming up next. If you like what you hear, please go to our website, redsearadio.org and donate to our apostolate or even become a member of our Immaculata Recurring Gift Society and keep us on the air. Thank you so much and God bless you.
1: Welcome, welcome to this edition of Red Sea Roundup. I am the host for the day, Pam Marvin. And joining me, my guest today is Robin Daves Culling. I like to put in your maiden name there too, because that's important to me. (laughs) Robin is a friend by a best friend. And I'm so thankful to have this family in my life. And Robin has an amazing story to tell us today. So, Robin, let's see. Let's just tell us a little bit about yourself before we start really getting started on the day.
0: Okay. Well, um, as she said, my name is Robin Culling. I am 51 years old. Um, I am a widow and the mother of two young adult sons. Um, In my early days before having children, I was an elementary school teacher, um, took the early retirement Um, Those marriage vows said, I do the give her permission to um, raise our children. So for the past 20 years, I raised our children. Um, I am a cradle Catholic. Um, Really, it's all I ever, ever knew. Now, that's how the world sees me. But who I really am and who I've come to find out who I am is that I am a daughter and a beloved of the true king. Um, And it took me. I was almost 50 years old to be able to really, to see that, to own that and to know and believe it.
1: Amen. That's right. So Robin and I, a few months ago had, I was trying to remember what even started our conversation in the first place. Do you remember why we had a little phone call? I think call? you uh,
0: ran into my, to my mom.
1: That's right. Oh, and I did say, I would love to have you on the show sometime yeah that's right. And yes. so here we are on the show sometime on
0: the show sometime.
1: Yeah we finally got around to it. She's got an amazing story to tell. I was really deeply moved by how the Lord has worked in her life um, through her personal story and then how he he brought her into community to help nourish her and continues to nourish you today. and we'll get to more of that part. So okay, what do you think? Let's get started if you want to start at the beginning.
0: Okay. The beginning. Um, well, I was, um, married after college, after Texas A&M, I was out of school for a couple of years before I met, um, I guess my soulmate, the man I was meant to be with. Um, funny thing was as an Aggie, God has a sense of humor and he sent me a Texas longhorn. <laughs> so, huh, um, Thomas was the introvert. I was the extrovert. Um, and we made it, we made it work. We started a life together in 1999. Um, and it didn't take long before after marriage, we were having our first son, um, a few years later, having our second son and we were living, I guess the American, I guess you call it the American dream or from the outside looking in, everything looked really good. We had the house, we drove nice cars, Um, money was never really an issue. Thomas was working the jobs that he loved. In fact, he was traveling um, pretty extensively the further we got into marriage. Um, He was actually traveling so much that he was working in Australia for the the last five years of our marriage um, as an expatriate, meaning that he was... 28 days overseas and then traveling home. So he was really spending more of his time away from us than he was at home. Um, Little did I know that some of Thomas's history, his adoption, um, the job, that there were struggles that were hidden. And I think him living away from us, he was living in isolation. Um, And... uh, one day, my
1: life changed. Right. Um, well, I just want to say that it's a very important point that you just said there, and it's kind of already come up twice in our conversation. Is is uh, uh, before we started to air, we we're talking about your mom because I love her to mm-hmm. pieces as well, and you were saying that she's closer, so she's not living quite as much in isolation. And and uh, my dear brothers and sisters, I just I just already see this as kind of a theme that's coming going to be through kind of strewn through this conversation, is that we cannot live in isolation. God made us for community and for relationship. And so when we're living more in relationship, we are living more in God's will, right? So he was living in isolation.
0: He was. He was living pretty alone out there, Um, even though there were lots of people. um, Mass was not available. Um, And isolation, we know, is the devil's playground. I mean, it, it really is. Um, on December nineteenth, two thousand eighteen, Thomas left for work. What um, I thought he had left for work, only never to return. Um, Thomas made a a choice that was irreversible, um, and he chose to end his life. Um, I was blindsided. Uh, absolutely, one hundred percent. Blindsided by tragedy, um, by something that I thought would never enter my world, and really, in my pride at that time, never—I never would have thought that would hit our world. Like that doesn't happen to us.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, it was instant pain, a kind of pain, a kind of suffering a kind of woundedness that's really hard to put into words because immediately darkness took over. Mm. It was a place that it's really even hard for me to go back to, like to enter in. And I I am grateful there are some things God, He really protected me in. Um, I never saw Tom again. Um, I don't know any details. My mom was with me when um, we. I was told what happened. So there was a lot of protection. Our our priest um, the, was brought to my home. He was with me upon being told. So God was with me. I just didn't really, I guess, as he know it, but um, I have to go back to see that now because at the time my world went dark.
1: Yeah, and pause for a second there, too, because I do believe that that is much the way the Lord works. Like we in the moment, because we're just so in our mortal flesh, most of the time, we're not super aware of the divine intervention that's happening all the time. And I think that's one of our human journeys is I call it receptivity to the Holy Spirit and just being more aware of him in in our daily lives which you know when we're quiet and we're adoration that's a little more easy to hear but when you're in right in in tragedy or a, you know a deep place of sorrow it's it's so much more difficult because you know we always expect our feelings of god's nearness to bring us comfort and joy when in fact sometimes it's simply accompaniment
0: absolutely and at that time I really didn't realize that I was living a lukewarm faith. I was a good Catholic because I went to mass, honestly. Um, I really wasn't embracing the sacraments. I don't think I had been to reconciliation in a while, probably a long while. But I thought I was a good Catholic because I was going to mass every week and I was making it was important to our family, that we had raised our boys, that mass was important over sports and everything else. But as far as really embracing what the Catholic Church. What Jesus has laid out there for us in the sacraments, I didn't really know. I did know that five days later on Christmas Eve, I was at Mass, and it was safe. There was something about being in that church and being with the people who knew me because I went to Mass. So I didn't really always know their names, but they knew who I was, and they had heard Thomas was gone. We were loved. Mm. Um, and I continued going to mass in that, in that time. Um, and we all know that during the season of Advent there and then Christmas, it's, it was Christmas. It was Holy day. It was Thomas's funeral. Like I was in church a lot and I never missed mass. Like the other thing that really kind of God filled me with, and I will say that I probably, my faith, that mustard seed, that whole scripture is so true that you have faith of a mustard seed because he was able to do so much with so little because my faith kept pulling me back to mass um, because it was this this safe space. And I found refuge at church. Um, I found refuge in that My mother never left my side. Um, She would get in bed with me when I couldn't sleep because sleep, I couldn't find sleep. I couldn't find rest. But she would start praying the rosary. And it was the Hail Marys Mm. that I'd sleep. And I'd literally go to sleep with the rhythm and the chanting of her voice in those Hail Marys. And when I'd wake up crying, she'd just pick right back up.
1: Mm.
0: and and God was in the he was in the midst of that um because Mary was a place I could safely lay my head I could just sleep to that chanting and I think there is something really beautiful about Mary and as as we're going to talk more she really became a big part of my journey
1: Mm. sounds like it started right then
0: it, it, she did kind of, Jesus really, that whole, when he gave his mother to John, like, I didn't really, like I said, all, a, lot, a lot of this is very hindsight, looking back at how, um, he was working in that, um, to really, to really nurture that, because my mom's gift, uh, really is her, is her gift of prayer. It was her example that she set. She's been a rosary girl ever since I can remember. So was my grandmother. So it was kind of rolling downhill that um, the rosary was where my mom was called to to nurture me.
1: Right. And I, I'm just going to add a little thing here, too, about my own personal experience. Was that sometimes when I really need that maternal care, like you did in that moment. So you had... The maternal care of your mother and brought through her our blessed mother, which is quite beautiful. That is just a beautiful image for me.
0: Yeah. And it really was because at this time I was so mad at the world. I was mad at God. I was mad at anyone who had a husband because now jealousy, envy, everything I didn't have had creeped in. Um, I was mad at Thomas, like a mad you couldn't even fathom. Um, and I was so wounded. I, I felt the rejection was coming out, the abandonment was probably the worst, and shame had taken over. Mm. Um, the stigma of the old pre-Vatican II and the Catholic Church, and how I felt people were now perceiving me um was setting in. And there, this The darkness went from complete shock and trauma to now the wounds were being really exposed. Mm. Um, and I, I, ca- I couldn't at this time, I couldn't even put all that into words because one thing that I had made kind of this internal decision was that my boys were never going to see me not get out of bed. And that I didn't die the day their daddy did. Because they were as important to me as any, I mean, my protecting them, my living, they I had every reason to live for them. Um, so a lot of things started kind of kicking into gear as far as how dark it was, yet there were things I needed to do to keep moving forward. And um, I went to counseling. That was kind of my my first thing was to just, I went to counseling. And it's really, I think, God, because as this story progresses, all I wanted someone to do was to listen to how mad I was. Mm. That's all I wanted. And let me tell you, this gentleman that I found, he was my daddy made over. Um, and my dad had been gone f- four or five years. He had been deceased. And here, this gentleman, I call and he was just compassionate and he was... I, I got this like safe feeling from him. So I start going to counseling and girl, I could just vent like there was no tomorrow. <laughs> like <laughs> all I could do was how mad I was. And he affirmed it. That was the thing. You have every right to be mad. You have every right to be angry. You have. It. And so for five months, I vented and it felt good for a while because that affirmation, yep, you should be mad. You should be mad. You can be mad. But I started feeling something was missing. There was something missing in that God was not the center of it. And my heart started telling me that. Mm. Um, and it was recommended to me, actually, another thing, my mom was like, well, why don't you find a, like, you need a spiritual director. And I knew I had heard of them. I kind of knew what they did. Um, But the only one that I I knew of was one that she was seeing and my sister was seeing. And I was like, yeah, I can't, yeah. The right person is just going to have to like, this isn't, it wasn't right. Little did I know, (laughs) you see God, man, he just, uh, little did I know that we had a spiritual director in our parish. Her daughter and my oldest son were the same age her daughter, you know, hey, that's Miss Robin. That's the one who lost her husband. And she was watching me. Um, She was checking in that I was going to mass, um, that I hadn't quit. And at some point, God was just working on her heart too. And I had made a change in our life that our routines needed to change. We were Saturday nighters. I mean, I really called it the blue hair mass. I mean, yeah. I hung out with the, all the old, <laughs> I hung out with the with the with the older crowd at Mary Queen. Those were my I mean, it was kind of our thing. We'd go to mass, we'd go to dinner. Sundays were kind of an R&R day more than than a mass day or whatever else was going on. So in order to change our routine and change our lives, we had a youth mass or a life teen at that time call it but you want it and it was time for us to shift because i had teens so i go to this life teen mass and and the music up be amazing like it was what i would call rock and roll jesus like contemporary the spirit was moving and this woman and her husband are sitting in front of me and after mass um, sometime during mass god called her to put her phone number and her name on a piece of paper And after mass, she steps out of the pew and looks me straight in the eyes and says, if you ever want to talk, I'm a spiritual director. Um, We both have jokes about it because my heart was like, what just happened? (laughs) And her heart was, I just scared her off. What the (laughs) heck were you doing? And and we both had very different perceptions of that night. She got in the car going, what did I just do? and questioning it. And I got in the car going, God, what are you doing? Mm. And what do I do? Like, is this, um, is this where you're leading me? And it took me 24 hours to text her. Like, I just, I was so nervous. I was so, um, but I knew in my heart, that it was ordained, like there was something ordained about this. Not that I even knew that, that word at that time or would it even, but it was also holy. And so, um, and I texted her and I said, I think I want to take you up on that offer to talk. And she says, how about tomorrow? <laughs>
1: <laughs> wow.
0: And the thing was, was that the beauty of part of this was that she never listened to anything. She never went seeking what happened. She just knew my husband was gone. Little did she know the depth of the tragedy I had suffered. Mm -hmm. And our first meeting lasted about three hours for me to tell the story of that kind of that day and her seeing where my faith was and the whole nine yards. And I have to look at her at the end. And we kind of finish with Thomas taking his life. And I'll never forget. She sat there the whole time with these eyes of mercy. It was like I could feel her eyes in my soul, like this pain that she was joining me in. And there was no judgment. There was no, no, nothing. It was just this state of vulnerability that God allowed her and I to enter into. No less, we were in the cry room sitting, like, seriously, we were in the cry room at <laughs> church. like So there were a lot of tears. And I sit there and tell her what happens. And in that moment was when she really shed her first tear. and she looked at me and told me that she was in it to walk the journey with me and that she was here that she was there for me wow and this is when this whole part of mary started really entering because she went right there to asking me to well i need you to do this like the holy spirit had called her well can you get a journal and can you do some writing? And it was like, yeah, I can do that. Cause purging was, I needed it. And I, I just kept saying, yes, she'd asked me to do something and man, I'd, I was on it. I'd literally go to my room, shut my door. And I'd spend a day or two or I'd text her and I'm like, I'm done. I did what you asked. And one day she comes back at me and she says, man, you are my yes girl. Like, (laughs) And I didn't really even know what that meant. Like Mary's Fiat, I'm your yes, like whatever. And the more she asked, the more I kept saying, bring it on. And the more mountains started, like I, I entered this place where I first felt consolation, I think is what started happening really mm. um that consolation in my heart was something that I, and I will I'm I would be lying if I said I didn't become a little bit of a consolation junkie because sure. it felt good yeah and I would seek it and what would happen was I'd feel really good feel really good this consolation would come and then he'd send me back into this place of dryness yeah and it was like god why are you distant and he really wasn't distant but I'd get so frustrated with him that I want that feeling back. I want that feeling back. And, yeah. and it, was thing, it was the kind of a thing I had to really learn to work through because the consolation felt so good. And I, I will have to admit that the suffering that I had entered and that she had entered with me, I would have done anything. And really, whether it had been paying for it to go away, someone else to take it, put it off. Like, I don't even know. But I was that person that suffering, eh, <laughs> I, I still struggle with it. Can I can we just get rid of it? And that was a really hard lesson for me to learn in the suffering because she took me to a place of I, I looked at her and I said, Why me? Why? me I didn't deserve this and I sit there and I look at that now and I'm like yeah that's for other people and I am thinking "Wow, man my pride really Mm -hmm. it had a hold on me I mean pride was running rampant like my family didn't deserve this my kids didn't deserve this and I looked there and I said why why me and I'm bawling and she looks at me and speaks this truth and said why not you wow yeah and in that moment i had no answer Mm. i i had no answer and that was kind of where she left me that day it was i really i want you to go pray about this and i want you to go write about this why not you and man did did god have some putting me in my place like Mm. moments um during this time, as as all this starts happening, I was now living in God's word. I was reading the, day, the mass every day, and I was attending mass twice a week. So daily mass, reading the gospels, we were reflecting on scripture. So God's word started really leading this journey. And scripture would come out and all of a sudden I'm understanding it and I'm able to connect and okay, well now that you're going to mass and you're receiving the Eucharist, how about getting back in the confessional? And, um, that was, that was a long time coming. Mm. And as I got back in the confessional and I started feeling God's mercy and God's love and, what it meant to really be Catholic, like embracing this whole sacrament and it not being this, ah, oh, well, I can just tell God what I want because he'll forget. My heart started shifting. Mm. There's, There was so much that was happening and it was happening at such a rapid pace that it was hard to keep up. Wow. I mean, it was, it was so hard to keep up. I mean, we'd, we'd go and mountains would move and we were running, I was running this race and boom, we'd hit another hurdle. And it was like, all right, come on, God, we're going to get me over this hurdle. And I remember, you know, this happened in December. I met her in May, the end of May. And in June, we attended a Bible study together. And she was really attending this Bible study because of me, not for her to have any gain. It was really to do this with me. Um, and the study was um, a "Walking with Purpose," a national Bible study. It was happening not at, at our home parish, but at the parish where I actually was raised as a child.
1: Is that right? Um, wow! It was
0: yes. I was raised. That's as another a child.
1: wink from God. Yeah.
0: It, well. And the woman who was running it was actually had done our marriage encounter. Wow. So, and I was going to be back with people who knew me and loved me, not who Robin kind of, it was kind of like, they knew me as a child. They knew me growing up, but we had left the area. So they hadn't seen me and I hadn't spent time with them in a a long time. And the, the title of this study was called Fearless and Free. And the whole study, oh man. God has a way was on forgiveness Mm. and forgiveness. I didn't really understand what, and I'm going to, but Terry, my spiritual director, what she was getting at when she kept saying forgiveness was the roadblock to my healing. And until I could forgive Thomas and, and these wounds, we could get to the root of them. Could I heal? Well, this study this Bible study was scripturally based and man, it was forcing me to dig into my heart to find forgiveness. Now, did all of that forgiveness happen? Absolutely not. It did not, but it started and it was um, the absolute, like kind of, I'm going to say it laid this foundation. So it lays this foundation of forgiveness and here we are in June, July, we do this study for six weeks. And I mean, God is, he is working on my heart. He is getting me out of, like, I'm starting to move out of some darkness and I am no longer numb. I am out of numb and I am feeling everything. Mm. And the next thing I know is there's a group of women from my parish going on a retreat. And of course, I'm invited and I go on this retreat. And this is one of kind of the first things I really remember. If the this retreat, this priest gets up to give this talk. And he starts the whole talk with a widow joke. And let me tell you,
1: Oh my goodness.
0: (laughs) He sent me reeling in the very moment because there was nothing. I kind of felt like, well, how insensitive. There's nothing funny about being a widow. Yeah. And it, for me, it was just the worst kind of moment. But I thought, well, before I get up and run, because that's what I felt like I wanted to do, and she knew it, she put her hand on my leg. I listened. And he starts going into scripture. And the fir- next thing out of his mouth was, Jesus longs to heal the brokenhearted." Jesus wants to heal the brokenhearted. And he starts talking about the 99 and the one. And I'm sitting there and I had been learning to reflect on this scripture. And for the first time I had been waiting kind of like on God really to hear God because he was working, but I wanted to hear him. And that, that priest no longer was just a priest. It was like God was sitting there talking to me going, you're my one. Mm. I was the one. He had left the 99 and I felt it, that consolation, like I'm feeling this. And my heart is now like palpitating wow. at this retreat. Like I couldn't even turn off what was happening. And he finishes, we go into adoration. And he finishes walking around the room with Jesus in that monstrance. And that we can touch the tassel as he walks around. And I'll I'll never forget that moment. Not only was I the one, but I was the hemorrhaging woman that reached for his
1: tassel. Wow. Wow.
0: Incredible. And I, I, bro- I broke. I'll, I'll never forget sobbing. There were four hundred women in that room, and I was the only one sobbing that night. And it was the it was really how Scripture and His Word started affecting how He leaves us in these stories that we're the rest of the story. Right. Right. And I just, I didn't know it so much as this is where I've I've grown, like where I've come to learn, where I've been guided, where I've been nurtured um, because I had no idea at the time what was happening. I just knew that consolation felt really good. And as long as I kept saying yes to what was happening, I kept feeling better.
1: Right, right. And
0: that there was life for me, that it wasn't so dark because now his light was really starting. I was starting to see some light. And this truth that I had been told that someone would walk with me and that there was no fear of abandonment, there was no fear of rejection, was true. Like, it it was truth It was, you know, I kept getting as I needed it was there. So I had this accompaniment, but yet Jesus was working. Jesus was healing me and everything that I was asking him to do, mm. he was doing like, can you just take this pain today? Can you just get me through this today? Um, and I started just seeing how he was, you know, I was one of those people I missed Jesus in the everyday. I was the half empty girl. I, There's so many things I look back and go, man, why was I just going to church and that was it? Why? Where did I miss all this? Um,
1: Can I ask a question real quick? I'm going to interject that Yeah, absolutely. I I see that your beautiful transition from what you now proclaim is is a a lukewarm Catholic, which I think you're (laughs) absolutely correct in saying that most people who are are very unaware of that. Um, But you had this light bulb kind of go off that spurred you forward based on your tragedy. But yet the lot you started to let the light of Christ in. So, is there anything that you, if you could tell your your several year ago self something right now, before a tragedy had ever occurred, what would you say to them? If I
0: could tell that person something before a tragedy, well. One was embrace, like embracing everything that Catholicism had to offer me, mm. man, you missed it. And was, did I miss it be- because of the way I was catechized or did I miss it because was there something I didn't want people to see this holy rock? Like I can't even, I can't even describe it. Cause I know there are parts of Robin growing up in high school when, Girl, I was the one with the BBS and the kids, like, bring it on. Like, I loved it. Um, but I never wanted people to see me as this, like, proclaiming Jesus. So what was I afraid of? Because now it's all I want. Yes. I want people to see me as holy. Right. I want people to see this light. Um, that having that relationship with him, would it have made it easier? I don't know if easier is the word. But I think it would have made it, there would have been some understanding and less chaos and confusion because Mm -hmm. I had to kick evil out. And that's all it was, was chaos and confusion. So for me, one of the things I know I've learned and it's been a hard thing to, I still, I I battled with it is that everything passes through his hand. Everything passes through his hand. So if what happened to me passed through his hand before it happened. He allowed it. He's growing me from it. He's changing me. He's got me living this life for him. And it, it's taken four and a half years to get to that point. But um, that Robin, it's funny because people who know me then and who know me now, they know I'm different and they proclaim I'm different. As I've walked this journey, I've got been called Robin 2.0. <laughs> Robin. There, there is the, and then there are people now who, who I meet, who wouldn't even know I'm a widow. Right. Like they have no idea. Mm-hmm. So I, I know I'm different, but I, I telling that going back to that person, it's like, I, I want to ask myself why. Mm. What was it that made me just go to church? I think part of it was an obligation. I knew it was an obligation. I was fulfilling that. And that was, well, I go to church. So I'm Christian and I'm doing. And I missed, there's something I missed along the way about how beautiful that this faith that Jesus gave us and, and, the way he gave us our sacraments. When you go and look and how he ordained every single exactly.
1: sacrament. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Ah. Well, I can I can speak to it a second too because of uh, being a convert and coming from nothingness because my family or the, my household was agnostic. So the fullness of truth and the sacraments had a great draw for me. But I tell you, there's nothing like sitting in the pew for a whole year waiting to receive Jesus to make you want to go back over and over again. And so right Right. then and there, I learned that he reaches through space and time in the sacraments, Holy Eucharist and a confession, the sacrament of confession. Also, those are the two ways he reaches over to us from out of space and time to grab us and hold us to his heart?
0: Yeah, I think I took it for granted. I, I really do. I mean, Catholicism, cradle Catholicism was all I knew. And it's not that I never believed that he was present. And I believed it because it's what I taught and it's what our faith said. And I I never really questioned that. Like there wasn't this Robin to go, ah, yeah, I'm gonna like, I'm not sure about that. Like I never felt that way in my whole life. I always knew he was who he said he was. And I, I believed that. But I think I became very lazy in it, as far as like, gosh, we talk about now how receiving the Eucharist, you should never leave the same. I was leaving the same. Mm-hmm. I was leaving the same way I went in. And
1: if I could just interject I'll, I'll a never, second, yeah. but one of the things I'm hearing in that is something that we all get caught up in today. And that is the life of distraction. That's one of Satan's most powerful tools. It just sounds to me that you absolutely got distracted with life. It wasn't a choice. It was just life. Yeah.
0: Busyness, life, holding up that everything's great. Yeah. Because like I said, there were some things that I think I look back now on Thomas working the way he was. It wasn't great it was hard. Mm-hmm. I literally was a single parent before I became a single parent. Mm-hmm. Like there were some things that it wasn't always so great. And I wasn't leaning into him, into Jesus the way, you know, like I, I really, it took tragedy, um, for that to happen. And I, yeah, it's, I don't really think this whole lukewarmness and we realize how dangerous it is because Jesus talks about, he'd rather you be hot or cold, but this lukewarmness, he'll like spit you out like this whole.
1: Right. right, Robin, He I, can
0: do something with hot and he can do something with cold.
1: Right. You know what I want to do? Cause we only have two minutes left. Can you believe that? Oh gosh. Gotcha. <laughs> so what I, I had want to, to do,
0: talk about walking with purpose. I,
1: yeah. Well, um, I think it's when we had that conversation on the phone, I was just really struck by how walking with purpose had taught you to be someone that does accompany other ladies too. So I do want you to give a great plug for walking with purpose here.
0: I do want to give a great plug for walking with purpose because this Bible study is a national program. Um, it is a Catholic Bible study that was started by Lisa Brennickmeyer, Meyer, um, who found that women were coming to mass and leaving, going, where are the women like me? And she started the study with eight women in a basement of a church. And they now are serving over 565 parishes reaching 70,000 women and women are coming together in community to, to be vulnerable, to grow um, in loving and knowing Jesus together. Because the one thing that in my accompaniment was that we aren't meant to walk this, this journey alone.
1: Amen. So Robin, I think one of the things you know about me as well is that, me and my good friend Megan Silas have a podcast called Shoulder to Shoulder, which is all about a holy friendship and accompaniment. So yeah. <laughs> this is right; in, that's right in my wheelhouse. So if you're interested in walking with purpose, you can go right to their website and find out all about them and anything else you would know. I had a I had a ball just looking at the graphics and the names of the different course offerings. And I know they do have it throughout the Brazos Valley as well. But if you want to hop on that website, you can surely find out. Um, if they have something near you or if you're interested in bringing that to your parish. Can you believe we're out of time?
0: No, I'm really, I'm a little sad because (laughs) this journey, my healing has been nothing short of mountains moving and what Walking With Purpose has done in my life as far as transformation and healing and heart. It it was a foundation and I I pray that there are women seeking.
1: Yes, So thank you so much for joining Robin and I today. And until next time on Red Sea Roundup, go and love your neighbor.